I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello friends, happy Wednesday. I hope your day is treating you well. Today I am answering your questions sent in to the Enneagram and Coffee phone number, but first, today's rosebud and thorn. My rose is that a friend of mine who's also had some like lung congestion kind of stuff going on texted me or DM'd me on Instagram and let me know that they have been taking allergy medicine and it's helping. And my rose is that that just gives me a little bit of hope. I'm gonna go to the store and get allergy medicine today and see if it helps. That would be amazing if it did. My thorn is that I have film that I need to develop and it's probably gone bad at this point. I've had some of it for like more than 10 years and some of it for like a year or two. I had, I took a film camera when my husband and I went to Iceland where we got engaged and took pictures there. So I am just not sure what I'm going to find. I wanted, I'm going to go take it to get developed this week, but I have low expectations because I sillily waited forever to get it developed and I wish I hadn't. My bud is that tomorrow for me, it's yesterday for you, <laughs> we are going on a little day trip as a family. It's our last summer hurrah. Um, this is our last week with our kiddo before he goes back to school. And we wanted to do something special, but we wanted to keep it pretty simple. So we're going to a town nearby called Chimney Rock. We're gonna go kind of up to the top of the mountain. We're gonna walk around the town, hang out by some water, just have like a really fun family day. And I'm really looking forward to it. Okay, let's dive into some questions. So the first question we have is, hey, Sarah Jane, listening to your podcast on how to love a four in your life. I'm a four. Hi. I'm wondering about the same thing, but for a six, my best friend and my boyfriend are both sixes. I think it's a really sweet question. So I have five answers. And I hope they're correct. I'd love to hear from sixes kind of what you think. The first one is to check in on them. I've heard from a lot of sixes that they they just want people to think about them when they're not around and to make a point to just send them a message and say, how are you doing? Thinking about you. To just kind of know that the people in their life are as committed to that relationship as they happen to be. The second is to let them process with you. When they are making a big decision, a lot of times they just need someone to bounce ideas off of. And so being that person for them will mean a lot, but make sure like the deeper love that you can give them because they might want you to offer them a sense of certainty. Like this is what I think you should do. The best way to love them though is to ask them questions back to themselves and help to help them to kind of build their self trust and to really honor the fact that like they they're not going to screw this up that they can trust themselves that they have they're equipped that they have the answers within themselves already and that they are their own authority the third is encourage their spontaneity but respect their preparation meaning our sixes love to have a good time they love to have fun they're some of the most fun loving people that i know so encourage that part of them but also when they think about the snacks, when they've come with a big jug of water, or when they've thought about the sunscreen, like really honor that and appreciate that part of them that has come prepared. Don't make fun of that, you know? Like sixes tend to be really good at like self-deprecating humor. Like they can kind of laugh at themselves, but also like 
I think it's really just kind to show the respect for what that contributes to your relationship because it probably contributes a lot. And a lot of times this preparation work is invisible work, right? It's, it's invisible labor that they're putting into this dynamic that they probably are underappreciated for. The fourth is run through their fears with them patiently, especially if you're in an intimate relationship with them. When it comes to doing something fun, they may have a lot of concerns. We're pretty sure, I'm going to say this lightly, kind of quietly, <laughs> we're pretty sure that our kiddo is a type six. And example of this being like, my husband was like, we're going to go to this place called Chimney Rock. It's like this big pillar of rock. We're going to go up to the top. And his first question was like, how narrow is this rock? Is it going to fall over? What if there's a fire? What if someone is shooting off fireworks and it catches on fire? Like he, you know, he had a lot of concerns and questions. And I think that there's sometimes when a six is questioning, people assume that they're being kind of a downer, like, oh, you aren't going to have a good time because you're kind of already prepared to have a bad time. But that's not what it is. They're actually trying to guarantee a positive outcome because they want to have a good time with you. So they just have these kind of like concerns that they need to run through so that they can be prepared and also relax and enjoy themselves. So if you just kind of sit patiently with them and kindly discuss kind of their concerns, they're going to feel really safe and supported by you. And therefore they're going to be able to relax and have a better time and everybody wins. And finally, like I said before, sixes are fun, loving people who are really value their community, really value their family. And so have fun with them and also respect the people they care about. Show them that you're also interested in the people who are in their life because that will show them that you care about them. They're kind of connected. I hope this was helpful. And sixes, if you have thoughts or things you'd like to add, let me know. Next question. I have been learning about the Enneagram for a while and originally typed myself as a one, but I feel like the motivations of both one and six feel equally true to me at different times. Like a one, I have strong values and opinions and can be critical of others. However, I don't relate to being too highly critical of myself. Like a six, I find myself worrying about being left out or having friends not be loyal to me. However, I don't consider myself a skeptic and don't really think about worst case scenarios often. Is there a way to tell definitely what my type is when I resonate with both motivations? So <laughs> I'm afraid I'm gonna give you more questions and answers here because I have questions. And if you and I were sitting down across from each other, I would probably ask you these questions and then we could hash it out. But because we're doing it via podcast, I will present to you some thoughts and maybe you can kind of carry these over to a journal. Or if you're a member of Brave Collective, I don't know if you are or you aren't, um, you can Marco Polo me and we can kind of go back and forth about this as well on Wednesday. But the biggest difference is in how they view themselves in relation to others, right? So type sixes are anxious and decisive and reactive. They may not feel like equals with others, either being dutiful or rebellious, meaning they either want to follow the rules and do what they're being told, or maybe they feel rebellious. But either way, they're not really seeing themselves as like peers. They're seeing themselves as either under or against. Now, Type ones, the typical tone for a type one is like self-controlled, orderly, and appropriate. They're not indecisive by nature and tend to have really strong opinions about 
everything and really don't mind expressing them. Like this is right, this is wrong, that's good, that's bad. Now the subtypes may be worth considering. The self-preservation type one can look like a six and be more inclined toward anxiety than the other type ones, while the social six can look a bit like a type one because they have kind of an inclination toward black and white thinking and a desire to do the right thing. The big difference between them is that the one's authority or sense of certainty is from themselves, whereas the six authority is found outside of themselves. They're looking for kind of an authority figure that they respect that they can follow. Now, here's where the questions come in. <laughs> I, I'm also curious based off of your description of what you resonate with and don't resonate with. You might wanna potentially look at a sexual six, which is the counter type, which is the counterphobic six, which maybe when it comes to fear, they're a little bit less overtly fearful and a little bit more rebellious. When they have a fear, they kind of run toward that fear. So they are a little bit more spontaneous, maybe a little bit more reckless, a little bit more anti or against other things. They can also play devil's advocate a decent amount. So that's another thing to consider because I'm not 100% sure where you're at in terms of all of this. So that's one thing. The other thing is when you're describing things, I'm kind of curious where you relate to the motivation of type eight, because I hear you relate to the motivation of one and six, which makes me think there might be a deeper connection to a motivation that you could feel if it were a different number. Like, here's what I mean by that. Like when I look at one and six, I could say I relate to those. But when I look at seven, I'm like, oh no, that's deeper. That's much, much deeper <laughs> than those. So I'm asking about eight specifically, only because, and I'm not saying that I think you're an eight because I don't know. I haven't even like heard your voice. I, I'm reading one little blip of a text message. I just want to be clear, but I am asking about eight specifically because of the things you do relate to and don't relate to. Meaning having strong values and opinions and being potentially being critical of others, but not having a high criticism of self. So that all could happen for a type eight as well. Um, it could also happen for a sexual one or a self-preservation one. That's totally normal as well. Being worried about being left out, I don't know that eights would relate to that as much, but eights do have a very high expectation for how loyal their friends are to them. So one of the things you said was having friends not be loyal to me. Eights can oftentimes have very high expectations for what loyalty looks like and may even expect friends to be more loyal to them than they're willing to be to the friend because they have like so much defense around relationship not being betrayed in the fear of betrayal. So that kind of pinged something for me. I also don't consider myself a skeptic. Don't really think about worst case scenarios often. So just kind of thinking about, I would say most sixes would call themselves a skeptic, but potentially not. And don't really think about worst case scenarios often. I think the only type six that would really say they don't think about worst case scenarios is a sexual six, but they all are prepared for the worst case scenario still. So there's just something, just some things to think about. I know I gave you more questions than answers, but again, if you are in Brave Collective, Marco Polo me and we'll kind of pop back and forth about it for sure. All right, our final question for the day. Hi, you and every Enneagram person <laughs> talk about vulnerability for the eights. What are some examples of being vulnerable? 
I have a hard time actually identifying it, knowing when it's true versus an overshare designed to ultimately not be vulnerable. Thank you. I think this is a really great question. I think this is actually a pretty vulnerable question. I'm glad you asked it. I tend to get a lot of pushback from eights on this unless they've done the work of becoming vulnerable. A lot of times they may see the need but as like asking them to weaken themselves, asking them to be childlike. But once they've done the work of becoming vulnerable and like integrating this into their relationships, I've found kind of like they swing to the opposite end when they become the biggest advocates for vulnerability and actually do really incredible work around vulnerability and it's one of the really inspiring. So I just want to say if you're an eight listening to this and you're like, oh, I'm so tired of hearing people say be vulnerable, this might be for you. And just know that like a lot of times eights when they get into that vulnerable space become even more powerful and even more impactful than they were before. So I'm going to give you a really vulnerable example from my own life and kind of show you the choice between strength over vulnerability in relational conversation. So I typically choose strength. You wouldn't think this because I tend to be very open, right? Like I tell you my thoughts, I tell you my opinions, I tell you things that have happened to me that have been painful, I tell you how I feel about those things that have been painful, but those often aren't the vulnerable things, right? Like I'm still guarding all of the most vulnerable tender parts of me. Any part of me that could be hurt or wounded by sharing it or make me seem weak, I want to like, I'll tuck away and hide. So I'm very, have a lot of that energy in that. So I'm going to give you a very real example that I feel very scared to share, honestly. So I'm going to sit with that discomfort and we're going to talk about it. So I have, in my relationship to my body, had a very long journey. In most of my childhood and adult, like young adulthood, I felt like my body was something to be solved, right? Like I need to constantly be shrinking. I need to constantly be limiting what I'm eating, over-exercising. I was obsessed with just being as restrictive as possible. So later in my life, I learned that that was an eating disorder. I would go through these seasons of like only eating popcorn and Diet Coke. And I'm telling you this backstory to just kind of tell you where I've come from to where I am and where I expect myself to be. So that's kind of my background is having like a very restrictive eating habits. And then I played like three sports growing up. I played intramurals all through college, just like very active, very obsessed with working out, very scared of not shrinking. Then I got older and I started my like body positivity journey and I released a lot of like my fat phobic thought processes and I learned to really like myself as I am and feel confident in my body, feel confident in what my body can do and respect the way that my body is and love her right here, right now, instead of like conditionally based off of her ability to shrink. So I've gone through that process and like done a ton of healing there. It's been like a decade of work of just really healing that part of myself. Then my lungs broke. <laughs> And I have learned that my confidence, even in my body, my body might not change, but my confidence is very much tied to my ability to 
move my body and exercise and to, if, if I was exercising, I felt like I was good. And if I wasn't, I felt like I was bad. And if I was exercising, I felt like I was desirable, no matter what I looked like, but just more so in my mind, restriction, overexertion, these are desirable character traits and laziness or stillness were undesirable character traits. And I, my attractiveness or my belief in my attractiveness kind of wavered based off of if I was a good girl or not, you know? So I've had to do a lot of just self-nurturing and a lot of mothering of myself in this phase of my life of being not able to exercise as much as I would like to be. So my self-esteem and like my body image is kind of lower than I'm comfortable with at the moment. And the hard thing about that is like my self-confidence is also something that I think is good. And if I admit that it's low, I feel like I'm admitting weakness. So that's kind of a backstory here and kind of where I'm at in this context of the story I'm going to tell you. So the most vulnerable part of me here is the part of me that doesn't feel attractive because I'm not able to be as active as I would like to be. So that's kind of the vulnerable piece I'm trying to, I would have never said even, I wouldn't have even been able to access that without the conversation I'm going to tell you about. So then we get to this conversation where my husband always wants to rent a pontoon boat and I associate pontoon boats in Asheville. People rent pontoon boats with like a group of friends and they drink a lot and they like all hang out and like have a big day of it. And kind of when he's mentioned it, he's mentioned going with like other people, like getting a group of friends to go together. And I have been, my response has been absolutely not. That's not something I would want to do. I'm, I, that doesn't even sound fun to me. No, no, absolutely not. Pontoon boats are stupid. <laughs> okay. So that's responding with strength. That's saying like, it's not that there's anything I'm scared of here. It's that like, this is a stupid thing that no one would want to do, which is like, obviously not true. Pontoon boats are a blast, but that's responding with strength. It's like de putting something else down so that I don't have to deal with the thing I'm scared of versus vulnerability, which is saying, okay, actually I am scared that if we go with a group of people that there are going to be like other girls there who are in bathing suits and I'm going to compare myself to them. And I'm just not in like a mental, like a space right now where I feel comfortable with that. Like mentally, I don't have the strongest sense of like self-confidence at the moment. And that would feel really unsafe to me. So maybe we could go just the two of us or just the three of us, us and our kiddo and like have a really good time as a family instead of like a bunch of like 20 something girls in bikinis, like, which is like the fear that I have, you know? So kind of having that dynamic and having the conversation more vulnerably then allows my partner to be my support and to empathize with me. And I'm not making anyone else the enemy, right? It's not like saying like this thing you want is stupid and <laughs> like these other things are dumb. It's really just saying I'm like scared. And like, here's the thing that the fear in that is so intense, like admitting weakness, admitting vulnerability, admitting that like kind of putting your heart out on the line and someone could slap it or stab it or like wound it and say like, 
well, anything, you know what I mean? Like in that situation, like they could use that against you. They could betray you. They have more power over you in that moment than you have over them. And that's really scary. But if we want to get to the depth in our relationships and the connection in our relationships where everybody feels safe, we have to be willing to show up like that. We have to be willing to kind of put our strength down and show up in our weakness. And it's uncomfortable, but it's really freaking beautiful when you do it. It's really incredible and really scary. So hopefully that is helpful when it comes to like, what is vulnerability here versus, you know, for me, I really continue to think of it as, am I choosing strength here? and otherizing people and like making someone else, putting something down so that I feel strong, or am I admitting my weakness, letting someone kind of either love me or harm me and trusting that they're gonna love me instead. And that even if they do harm me, I will survive. I hope that's helpful. Thank you for asking such a good question. Okay, friends, if you have Enneagram questions, don't forget to call or text them into 828-338-9127, and we will put that in the show notes for you as well. As always, it's an absolute joy to create this content for you, and I will see you in the next one.